The World According to Gorf. Welcome to the Villains and... Uh, actually, that's not the right uh, title over there. Uh, welcome to the soon-to-be-titled panel over here at the 2015 Stanley Kamikaze Convention. Actually, the title for this panel, the full title, is Heroes, Villains, Faith, and the Messiah. And we're going to be covering all of that and more during this exciting roundtable of industry professionals who combine faith and professionalism in entertainment. So let me give a quick introduction to the people who are seated near me. And I apologize, there are a couple people who have joined us at the last minute, which we're very grateful for, whose bios I don't necessarily have, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves when we get to that point. Or, in fact, you know what, maybe we should just have introduce everybody ourselves. introduce themselves. Yeah. 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 David, you first. I'm David Sachs, and uh, I, I work in television. Uh, currently, I'm the executive producer of a show called Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket on uh, Nickelodeon, new cartoon on that. I've previously written and produced for The Simpsons, Third Rock from the Sun, Malcolm in the Middle, The Live Action Tick, and lots of other shows. I'm Leo Partible. I am a screenwriter, a comic book creator. I was previously a film exec, and I was in animation years ago. Uh, my brother's still in animation. He, he, my brother created a show called Johnny Bravo. I'm also a filmmaker, too. So, <laughs> um, By the way, uh, we're going to put labels on people here. Identify your religion. David? Uh, Jew. <laughs> Roman Catholic. Okay, I'm going to skip myself. Go to Jeff. Hi, Jeff Schechter. I'm the uh, executive producer and creator of the show Stitchers, currently on ABC Family. You're allowed to applaud, by the way. <laughs> Go ahead. You're allowed to applaud loudly, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've uh, worked a lot in film and television, animation, and live action. My film credits go everywhere from um, the Care Bears movies to Bloodsport 2. So there's something for everybody. And, uh, and, I, and, and I, too, am Jew. <laughs> nice haiku. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lisa Clink, and I have worked in a few different media. I worked in television for a long time, um, mostly on sci-fi shows like uh, Star Trek Voyager, Hercules, Roswell, that kind of thing. Thank you. You're allowed to do the Vulcan salute. <laughs> Excellent, well done. Okay. It's true. I've worked with our moderator here on uh, some Batman comics. I wrote the Borg 4D ride that was in Vegas for a while, and I'm now writing novels. So, kind of trying to hit everything. Uh, and I am the token atheist. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ali Mauji. I'm a Muslim actor, and I'm currently on Silicon Valley, and I've also been on Parks and Rec. Thank you. And I am your moderator, Jordan B. Gorfinkel. I was the editor of Batman Comics for the better part of a decade. My claims to fame are Batman No Man's Land, which became inspiration for the Christopher Nolan feature film Dark Knight Rises, and of course, Birds of Prey, the longest-running superhero female team franchise in the history of comics. <laughs> And as we noted in our last panel, Diversity and Entertainment, the man who put pants on Black Canary. <laughs> uh, she was wearing 
shorts before, just to be clear, it wasn't. <laughs> Somebody look at me like she wore nothing. <laughs> in addition to that, I work with corporations and not-for-profits on telling their stories in interesting media, but I continue to have a toe dipped in the entertainment world. My new graphic novel, Michael Midas Champion, was just released, and I invite you all to go to michaelmidaschampion.com, and please friend and follow us. We would love to have all the support that we can get. It's a story about a superhero who must learn that the true source of his strength is family. And I also am writing partners with Lisa Klink over here, and we have a web series that is going to launch shortly. We're very excited about that live action, and uh, we'll tell you more about that later on. Let's get started over here. So I'm going to address specific panelists with these questions, but I invite the other panelists, if you have something to reflect on that particular question, to jump in. And likewise, audience, you're welcome to raise your hands and jump in as well if you have any questions or comments. So the first question, Leo, what does Hollywood hate more, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam? <laughs> you know, okay, it's, it's, it, this is what's crazy, okay, because... Uh, so I've worked with evangelical Christians and, I mean, just a, a broad spectrum. I think Hollywood hates everybody, equally. In equal, I, I'm not kidding you. I've, I've seen people within the Hollywood community who, who actually are homophobic. I've seen people who, who don't like Christians, who hate Christians, who hate Jews, Muslims. I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy. So I, my, my, I have a blanket statement that every, Hollywood hates everybody but loves everybody when the money comes up. That's right. So... In fairness, then, Allie, let's ask you, what does Hollywood love more, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam? Whatever sells. <laughs> Same answer. Yep. <laughs> Good. So, a recent episode of the TV show Homeland portrayed a Passover Seder ceremony taking place in Berlin, the capital of Nazi Germany from World War II, and it featured it proudly and unapologetically. At the same time, the show has come under fire from Muslims for being racist. How does, how should, faith inform the creative process or inhibit it? Lisa Klink. How should faith inform or inhibit? I think like any other character trait, what somebody is passionate about and what somebody really believes in should inform their character. Whether it is that they are passionate about their family or about saving the universe or about Christianity, we should see that through action. I think that that's why we tend to get religious extremists as bad guys a lot because it's it's having them act badly but act on supposedly their faith. You know, I mean that is more dramatically interesting than seeing, you know, a Christian group going down to a soup kitchen and feeding the homeless, <laughs> which I got to think is more common. But I think that uh, that's kind of why we tend to see more of the bad guys, because they tend to be more extreme and they tend to act out on their faith as opposed to the actual people who follow their religion and do good. There's no conflict at a soup kitchen. <laughs> Very rarely. The soup is too warm. Yeah, yeah. Right, there's a fly in my soup. <laughs> Not enough yeah, you gotta fly, I didn't get a fly. Yeah, exactly. The purpose of this panel is to discuss how faith, religion, influences content and careers, and many times both concurrently. Jeffrey Schefter. In the pilot of your ABC Family series, Stitchers. Hit series. Hit series, Stitchers. <laughs> Second season is being filmed right now. 
One of the supporting characters openly identifies himself in the pilot as Jewish, albeit in an organic, humorous way. Can you please describe the decision-making process of putting your faith into your work and address any second-guessing you or the network may have undertaken in having faith in that aspect of your work? Oh, man, I'm such a hack. If I could get a joke out of it, then I'll put it in, and I got a joke out of it. It it really, it didn't, it doesn't doesn't play... the specific thing, okay, welcome to the Schechter family, where there's this kosher bacon called beef fry. And as my family has learned, like any incidental thing that might kind of sort of happen on any given day will eventually find its way into a show. So I wrote in a beef fry joke into uh, the thing, because the two characters are kind of just meeting for the first time, and it's kind of that he's poking her, she's poking him, so it's like this back and forth. So he says, what's your problem that makes it that you don't have any friends? Because she's this really blunt-talking character. And she says, why do you smell like meat? And he goes, well, I had beef fry for breakfast. And she goes, beef fry? And he goes, well, it's like bacon, except made with beef. She goes, what's the matter? Don't you eat pig? She goes, no, not if it makes my grandmother sad. She goes, what is she, Muslim? <laughs> and he goes, no, Jew-ish. <laughs> so, you know, so it was like, it was just a joke. I wish I was so deep that I had a real philosophic, you know, underpinning for working it in, but it was a cheap joke, and I went for it. Thank you. Did, did, anybody, did, did anybody, like the network, have a reaction to no, no, they, your question? A, no, they really didn't. It was, it was, it was fine. We, we, you know, it was just, because it played, the rhythms of the yeah. scene were, you know, kind of, it was back and forth, and it was sort of weird enough, beef fry, you know, it's like, you know, it was just weird enough that it felt right for the moment, but it could have been a discussion about... Greek yogurt versus fruit on the bottom. It's like, you know, it, ju- it was just sort of a rhythm thing. Has it, has it come up again, the characters you're living? No, 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 it actually hasn't. We're religiously blind to it. We have, you know, it's, it's because... It really was just for the joke. I'm, yeah, I'm cheap that way. It's, it's, well, well, Jeff, let me ask you, is a character stronger for their backstory being detailed so much, or is it better to leave them, shall we say, agnostic, because that way more people can relate to them? And I'll, I'll give you an example quickly. I've told this story in one of these panels before. There was an incident on a Batman comic book where Batman and Nightwing are in the Batcave, and Nightwing's hungry. He's going to order a pizza. Nightwing is going to order in the original script a pepperoni pizza, and I objected to that because I said the idea behind these superheroes is we want the maximum number of people to be able to relate to them, so I'd rather make it a vegetarian pizza, so that way if somebody's halal or kosher or vegetarian, they won't feel like, oh, well, he eats salami on his pizza, I can't relate to that character anymore. So in that case, being agnostic seemed to be the better approach, whereas with comedy, they say comedy's in the specifics, the more detailed you can get, the stronger the piece is going to be. Where do you side in terms of a one-hour drama? I wish I could say, like, I was taking a stand with the whole beef fry thing, but it really wasn't. It was a shading and a color to a character that, for all we know, may or may not play later, but it's something that's kind of specific, and now it's there, and it's, uh, it's, it's like it's, you know, you, you got a, I got a big toolbox at home. I got a drawer that says screwdrivers, and I got these big mama screwdrivers. I got one of those little jeweler screwdrivers, so to me, that's... It's, it's like I put a little a jeweler screwdriver into the toolbox that later on he might have a death in the family. And in, it might be that little cheapy beef fry joke might inform this whole scene taking place at a, at a funeral, dealing with the, his feelings about the fact that he 
kind of blew off being Jewish back in the beef fry scene. So it's there if we want it. So it's, it's comedy is in the details. There wasn't a great forethought to it. We do, we do a lot. I mean, I, I'm sure about you guys, but, you know, uh, you know about retconning. Like we, right, we do you know retroactive continuity where you come up with stuff. So now, somewhere down the road, we might retcon his Jewishness, right? Say, oh yeah, he's Jewish. Therefore, he's you know now we're going to do the, the the big Stitchers you know Passover special, you know something. Right? But it's there. So. That'll be big. Does your faith help or hurt your entertainment business career? For example, David Sachs. Can you please tell us about your interview with the producers of Third Rock from the Sun for a staff writer position and how your religious thinking affected the outcome? Right. So I had actually just finished a couple of seasons of The Simpsons, and my agent handed me a script and said, okay, so um, here's your next show. By the way, it, that never actually works, but in, in this instance it actually did. And he handed me the pilot to Third Rock from the Sun, and I read it, and I thought it was totally brilliant. It was um, by Bonnie and Terry Turner. Anyway, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show, but the idea is that it's not really about aliens. It's about people becoming human. These alien sort of personalities enter into these um, human bodies, and their alien personalities don't necessarily correlate with the people who they are. So, for instance, the sort of very beautiful, statuesque woman, Sally, was the warrior of the group, and now all of a sudden she's this voluptuous woman, and the sort of the elder statesman of the group comes down as this sort of like hormone crazed 14 year old which uh, was Joseph Gordon Levitt who's obviously you know got a huge film career right now and so when I was reading it I thought to myself you know besides the comedy of it and, and everything like that on a deeper level it really seemed like that it was like sort of like the interplay between the body and the soul because on the one hand our souls have these uh, it's like a piece of God it's very lofty, divine aspect. And then our bodies are very terrestrial, which have their, their needs and their desires, uh, which are very sort of like food and sex-led, let's say. And, and oftentimes, the, your inner personality and your sort of the coding around you, they don't necessarily want the same thing, and that, that leads to conflict. And so I thought to myself, wow, that's kind of cool. And then I thought, okay, I got an interview with Bonnie and Terry, and I thought... The, this much I know, I'm not going to bring up that thought. Because <laughs> uh, I went to myself, you know, if I, if I start discussing their, their, their sitcom on that level, you know, they're just going to kick me out of the room, you know? So I, I remember I, I, I sat down with them, and I heard these words coming out of my mouth. It was like a, an out-of-body experience where I literally saw myself on the couch saying these words. And it was like one of the first things I said, I said, I think these are the exact words, which is even more painful to recollect. I said, do you realize there are theological underpinnings to your work? Yeah. <laughs> and they looked like, go on. And then I told them what I just told you. And they, their jaws literally, like, open, like, you know, dropped open. And after a small silence, Bonnie said, that's exactly what we were going for. Huh. And I said, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and she said, yes, it was. And I said, no, it wasn't. And she said, yes, it was. I said, well, if that's true, I demand to work for you. <laughs> and they just cracked up, and that was, you know, cut to six years later. You know, that was the whole run right there, you know. It's cool. mm You're listening to The World According to Gorf on jmintheam.org. So the question is about how would faith inform 
the work? Is that and the career and the career? Uh, I've got a couple of friends, uh, a number of friends who actually are Christians. Um, my friend Scott Derrickson is directing Doctor Strange, and he's he's a Christian. And it's interesting because he's doing something that's very, it's a cult. And usually people think, well, Christians can't do occult work. But for me as Roman Catholic, you know, I come from a tradition. And I, I, I veered off for a while because I, I was an evangelical Christian of various denominations for, for a little bit. But, but for me as a Roman Catholic, what's interesting is, is our tradition is, is J.R. Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings. That is a, he said it's a fundamentally... Catholic work, it's a C.S. Lewis, you know, the Narnia books uh, and, and, and the movies, and, and G.K. Chesterton, you know. I mean, these are the, these are the guys who are kind of like the pillars of, of, of sci-fi and fantasy. I mean, you see Neil Gaiman always bringing them up all the time. And, and I think there's two different things that, that are at play here in terms of faith and how you do it. There's, there's, a, there's that fundamentalist group that really pushes faith in your face, and, and that turns off anybody. Any, you can be, you know, I'm vegetarian, and I used to be vegan, and so when I was vegan, it was like, people were like, oh, dude, don't don't push this on me, and I'm like, oh, wait, you can't do that, you know? But if it's coming out from an organic place, right, I mean, like the way Tolkien wrote, you know, we're messy human beings, so it's a complicated thing. There's there's faith, uh, but we're still trying to work it out. You know, we don't, we, and that, and I think that's that's what drives us as artists is that, uh, you know, it's like that, the, the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You can be, you know, uh, definitely a Christian, but at the same time, it's a big universe out there. And I think that's what I love. You know, uh, somebody like J.K. Rowling, her, her books are, are fundamentally Christian in a way because she, you know, she talks about being Anglican. And the Harry Potter books are, are set in Christmas. And it's like, there's no conflict. Stories are stories, you know, magic and everything else. And these are these are wonderful devices to allow us to to ask the deeper questions. And so I think um, if you if you do art in that way, that's a better way rather than to come from a fundamentalist place. Ali, can you reflect on your career a little bit from the perspective of a colorblind audition versus somebody looking for a specific type? And I'm also curious, how did you break into the business in the first place, and what were your parents' responses to the idea that you wanted to become an actor? Yeah, that's a lot to answer. <laughs> um, in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds, okay. Basically, when I was a kid, I loved TV and I loved movies, and I never saw anyone who reflected me, and I couldn't relate to any of the people, any of the characters, any of the superheroes. The people who did look like me were usually driving a cab, had an accent, or working at 7-Eleven, or terrorists. And, and that's why I became an actor, because I wanted to be I wanted to be up there telling a different story, telling my story, telling the story of people who are my peers, who had a different experience, who didn't have an accent, who grew up in, in North America. I now realize that I needed to become a storyteller, creating the stories and casting actors rather than just being an actor. But can you tell me the other part of the question? Uh, oh, my parents supporting me? Yes. So they, my parents did support me. My parents are from East Africa, from Tanzania. Ethnically, we're Indian, but my parents and grandparents were born and raised in Africa. Their journey was growing up in a, a third world country that wasn't their own country and trying to find a country to call home and find a career to uh, make money and create a family. And they ended up settling in Canada, but by way of uh, England and, and Brussels and all these other countries, they were very supportive to a certain extent. They would sign, they, you know, when I said I wanted to try acting, they would 
sign me up for the classes, they would take me, but when it came time to choose a career, they said, no, you're not going to do that. That's The arts are a hobby, they're not a career, and you can't do that. And they pushed me into engineering, which I did my undergrad degree in, and, and I wasn't happy, and I, I said, you know what, I'm not doing this. I, I want to be an actor, and I can't go the rest of my life without having tried it. And so I moved to New York and just started trying to make contacts and auditioning and eventually I ended up in LA going to CalArts to get my MFA in acting. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, Otis. No, oh, okay, nice. Um, and and I made that gradually made that transition from theater, which is what most of my background is in, to TV and film. So a quick follow-up question. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Somebody offers you a million dollars to go on screen for a minute and be the terrorist. Do you take it? Uh, that's really hard because as as a minority and as a Muslim and as an Indian, I feel a lot of responsibility representing minorities in general on screen and representing Muslims and representing Indians. And I'm always conflicted when when my my reps send me something that is a terrorist role. I have to think about all of those things, and you know, from the money because I want to have a family and provide for them, and to you know, how am I uh, perpetuating these stereotypes to how much flack am I going to get from the community, or, or am I going to feel guilty after this? I have to wait on a case-by-case -case basis, and if I do end up choosing it, I will try to find a way to humanize the character rather than making it a cardboard cutout uh, or just a stereotype. But a million dollars is a lot of money, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I could live with myself. Two million. That's exactly. <laughs> so, I, 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 I'm sure everybody has a price, and and I have I'm no different because we all have needs and we all need to provide and eat and, and pay rent, but or buy a house or whatever. But there is a, a point where it's like, no, that's not worth that amount.
Listening to the world according to Gorf on the Nahum Siegel Network. I want to turn towards the fourth cornerstone of our title today, Messiah. In years past, we've talked about defining what a hero is, what a villain is in the context of faith, our third pillar, but what about the Messiah? If a hero is the protagonist and a villain is the antagonist, then from a storytelling structure point of view, Jeffrey, what is the Messiah? depends. It depends on the Messiah's... Hi, Jeffrey. <laughs> it depends on the Messiah's role in the story. The Jewish conception of the Messiah has similarities and differences with other religious perceptions of the Messiah. The Jewish perception of the Messiah is, from a, from a strictly storytelling viewpoint, is a human being who goes through the normal human trials and tribulations and, in a way... I want to say, and David, you can help me on this one. Like, you know, creates himself, but becomes—it's not it, it, born born to a certain destiny, but that destiny will not be fulfilled unless the Messiah character engages in particular actions and self-fulfillments and things like that to grow into the role. The the Jewish conception of it is that in every generation there is somebody who could be the Messiah. And through their personal shortcomings or societal shortcomings or whatever that the that person the Messiah doesn't happen. So and then it's punted to the next generation, the next generation. And now we also have this idea that the Messiah can come in uh, Jewishly uh, one in two ways. It could be a very peaceful transition to a messianic age or a very violent transition. If everybody says, "Oh yeah, I think it's." It'd be good if we all stop trying to kill each other. That's the peaceful transition. It's like, no, 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 we're, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's go to the end game, and it's violent. That's the violent version. But you still have a messiah in both those realms. Now, we're going to just a storytelling. You could tell a messiah story of the, the person's growth to being the messiah, where it's a very 
protagonistic story. How does a character go from, you know, I'm not worthy to, you know what, let, let me usher in an era of peace. That's a very good personal journey for a character to go on. And indeed, almost every story tells some version of that, where a character goes from some constraint, what are they doing wrong in their life, to their sort of enlightened version of themselves by the end of the story. So the Messiah could be that person. Now, if you're telling the story from a the flip perspective, you might have people who don't want the messianic age to come, and if you're telling the story from them, their perspective, where they themselves are the protagonists of the story, the Messiah is the antagonist of their story. So it depends on, on what, what, your, what your story perspective is. Is the Messiah protagonist or an antagonist? And if you go with a non-Jewish version of the Messiah, where it's a very idealized entity you know, that's unchanging and pure and perfect, then the Messiah is this other type of character called the traveling angel, which the Messiah himself or herself does not change, but elicits change in those around him. So the Messiah can be either a protagonist, an antagonist, or a type of character called a traveling angel, which, uh, which doesn't change, mm -hmm. an unchanging character. Mm -hmm. I want to follow up with a question for David in a second, but Ali, can I borrow you for a second? Can you come over here? You're the actor. <laughs> Am I reenacting something? Uh, sort of. I, I have a, a brief script over here. Can you do a British accent? Uh, badly. Okay, so do a bad British accent. You're going to play Brian. Go ahead. Will you please listen? I'm not the Messiah. Do you understand? Honestly. Only the true Messiah defies his divinity. <laughs> what? Well, what sort of chance does that give me? All right, I, I am the Messiah. He is, he is the Messiah. <laughs> Where's that from? Well, thank, you right. Right. thank you very much. Okay. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, thank you. By the way, his intonation was much better than mine. <laughs> but I kind of liked your character. <laughs> Sorry, we can we can play it later on. That's that's it exactly. He's very diverse. Uh, David Sachs, looking at the Messiah from a historical point of view, can you please tell us who in Judaism the Messiah was, is supposed to be, etc.? And uh, I'll ask a follow-up question after you answer that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think I think Jeff said it very beautifully that that in the Jewish tradition the the redemption can happen at any moment, and we say in, in uh, the Hebrew phrase is keharif ayin, which means in the blink of an eye. A lot of strife, a lot of a lot of strife, uh, historically speaking, and a lot of blood, unfortunately, has been spilled over different groups arguing who is the Messiah, right? Each group insisting that that their that their leader is is the Messiah. I think that it's helpful to understand something, which is to put the, the Messiah, as, as great as the Messiah will be, to put the Messiah in, in, in perspective for one moment and, and in context in one moment. Because really, Judaism believes in the, in the deepest way in evolution. And, mm -hmm. and Darwin aside for a moment, what, what I mean by that is that the world is uh, evolving toward perfection. And that this is God's plan for the world. And a beautiful way of visualizing this that, that someone shared with me one time is that if you imagine an architect envisioning a building, right? First, the architect sees the completed structure and then sets about to build it, right? And so we say in, in, in Judaism, in Torah, it was with God before he created the world, that he envisioned from the very beginning, before he created the world, the perfected world. And then what he did was he created human beings to be partners with him in sort of achieving that initial vision. 
right? So that's a world with no hatred, no war, no hunger, things like this. And so, seen in that perspective, the end game is this is this era of peace, this this next unfolding of the destiny of humanity, which is going to come. Now, the Messiah will be sort of like God's point person to bring this about, right? But if you think about it, the Messiah is not the headline there, as much as, as, much as we pay attention to this figure, who he is. But the real headline is this next vision of reality which is going to unfold. And so, with no um, slight to the honor of the Messiah intended, it's important that we understand that the that we're all going to participate in that next era. And that in order to do that, we have to get along. And one of the ways to get along is not to fight over the things we shouldn't be fighting over. Right? And so that's a, a sort of a historical overview of where we've been and, and hopefully where we're going today. One quick follow-up question before Leo I ask you a question. David, Jeff just established that the storytelling function of a Messiah in a dramatic format can be that it overlaps with the protagonist and antagonist or acts as kind of a Greek chorus that is unchanging but as some sort of reflection to the protagonist and antagonist helps to move the story forward. In a sitcom or a comedy format, what function might a messiah serve? It could probably be done a lot of ways. Um, one way is that the, the, the person has been given this sort of prophetic gift and can accept it themselves. Um, another is that there, the, this prophetic gift has been given to someone who is very unlikely, like someone who, you know, whose life is a complete mess, and now all of a sudden they've been tasked with uh, sort of like fixing up the lives of other people when, when they're a complete mess. So th those are sort of like two comic versions of, of how you could do that character. Leo, please tell us who the Messiah is from the Christian historical perspective. Okay. Well, the Messiah in the Christian historical perspective is Yeshua, and, uh, and that's the, the Hebrew or the Jewish term. Uh, for Jesus, and and from this perspective, how that the implications of all that, um, I go back to what uh, J.R. Tolkien talked about, which is called the eucatastrophe, and it is um, it's the good chaos of, of uh, and and for him, uh, he wrote a there's a there's a great uh, overview. Um, it's called on uh, uh, on fairy stories, and it and he talks about everything you know that that center point, the eucatastrophe, which is a gospel. Um, it is about Christ coming and the consequences of all that. And so uh, stories from here on out, uh, because of this eucatastrophe, uh, we have the little, the little Christ. And so when you see something like uh, the story of Superman or you see Batman, Batman looks to me, uh, there's a, the, re the reference of the, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, actually, I should, <laughs> forgive me, uh, the Tanakh, because <laughs> it's, it's almost like every month says, well, the Old Testament, like, it's almost like, well, we, we were appropriating a lot of the stuff that Jews were doing. So, okay. right. um, and by the way, the Tanakh means the canonized Bible. Right. Go ahead. And so Batman is, has a similarity to, uh, I think in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the Avenger of Blood. Or if somebody accidentally killed uh, a family member or something like that, you, this person uh, could go into the cities of refuge. And, and I, I see a, a lot of uh, similarities in, in the way that, that 
you know, these people who are crazy, Arkham Asylum is almost like the, the, the cities of refuge and Batman is the Avenger blood. And of course Superman is also the same way. It's uh, that identification. And so for us, for me as a Catholic, I mean, superheroes were saints, even right down to the clothing. I mean, you see Superman, uh, the color schemes, you know, red uh, symbolizing blood or humanity, and then the blue underneath is the sky, which is the divinity. And so you see something like that, and so a lot of these superhero stories, and I think even in animation, we see the consequences of of that messianic story. So that's that's really what, what the key is not. Um, it's not this this uh, end times. Uh, kind of thing that, that fundamentalists tend to use. It's like, okay, we're looking for the Messiah. The Messiah you know, uh, quite frankly, it, it, I mean, the Messiah, Messiah coming has a consequence. Just therefore, uh, you shall, you know, if evil is done to you, then you shall repay it with good. And so that's, I think that's, that's a, uh, the consequences in superhero stories or even things like The Matrix or anything else that's, that's coming out right now. It doesn't have to be superhero stories. This and by the way, that's exactly what I was yeah. going to jump in on. Yeah. Uh, we've seen messianic characters in popular entertainment. Sure, the recent examples are indeed, just off the top of my head, Superman particularly is portrayed in Superman Returns. You have that scene of him as a Christ-like figure hovering over Earth, for example. Neo from The Matrix sequels, perhaps even Darth Vader. Uh, Lisa Klinkless, E.T., e. very good e. example, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, any other examples before I... Uh, uh, David Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy. Good. Audience, any ideas? Messianic figures in popular culture? Sorry? Harry Potter. Harry Potter, ooh, very good. Yeah. yeah. Katniss in Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. I think you're about to throw it to me anyway, but I'm yes. going to seize the mic. Steve <laughs> um, Carell in the office. <laughs> the comic version, yes. It's <laughs> good. I guess for me, the, the idea of like a messiah figure tends to be someone who is chosen, like the one. You know, who doesn't, who has a destiny, and their their process is accepting it. You know, and they might be reluctant at first. You know, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or like uh, you know Neo in the Matrix. You know, at first saying, you know, turning it down. You know, or Luke, um, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, at first saying, no, I can't do this, and then accepting it. But I think that there's a sort of a different kind of, of figure in that same mold, like Katniss, who chooses it herself, who is not destined by anybody, but who steps forward to save her sister and becomes essentially a messianic figure. Not because she was chosen, but because she chose. And to me, that's, that's a pretty significant difference, whether it's accepting some, a responsibility that has been put on you or taking that responsibility onto yourself, which I tend to find more dramatically interesting, you know, that she could have just stood there and said nothing and life would have gone on, whereas somebody who is, who is chosen is going to have that conflict until they resolve it, and it kind of is put on them. So dramatically, I'm more interested in in the non-Messiah protagonist. So let me ask a follow-up question. Star Wars, is the Force God? Yes. <laughs> we well, have. It's science. science. Right. Tonight is where it doesn't mean that every protagonist is somehow a Messiah, because... That's a great question. It's in fact something I was thinking about, which is are we blurring the lines yeah, between a messiah and a protagonist that every protagonist then has to in some way have messianic pretensions? I think that's, that's not true. I mean, to me, it's like a, a protagonist who inspires others 
is kind of a messiah figure. But think about like Indiana Jones, he's not a messiah figure. He, he doesn't inspire people. I mean, he doesn't have like the movement, you know, behind him. He doesn't collect followers. I mean, he's just a guy. Um, All the kids that he liberated from the Okay, except for the second movie. (laughs) (laughs) In which he acts like has a magic stone. Um, But to me, he's not a messiah figure. Mm -hmm. David? Well, I think, um, I hear the point definitely that you're making. And I I, I think that um, it's probably is uh, degrees of magnitude. Because um, on on, on one level, I think you're right, that, that every hero is a messiah if they're able to overcome challenges. And just to give a, just a bit of support for that, the Talmud says that if you save one life, it's like you save the whole world, right? So each person, we say, is like a microcosm of heaven and earth, of the whole universe, because your soul is a piece of God, that's heaven, and your body is the earth. So every human being is a fusion of heaven and earth. Each person is a microcosm of the entire world. So if you save yourself or you save one person, you are like a Messiah. It's like you save the whole world. However, when we talk about the Messiah in the, in the normal sense, we're talking about a higher level of magnitude where there are actually universal consequences mm-hmm. to, to the repercussions of their actions. So again, it's all along the same spectrum, but it's a question of where does it, where does it rest on the spectrum. Yeah, there's an old, very, very brilliant insight that I just came up with. That um, that in the in it seems to me that in the in the realm of storytelling, like every film, it's a, it's a self-contained world, uh-huh. right? So you can have, you know, like what, whatever happened before the the first fade up, and whatever happens after the fade out, it's like it doesn't exist. It's like the, the world came into existence, you know, at minute one and faded out of existence at minute one twenty. So you could have John McClane could be a messianic character in Die Hard because that's the only world that exists for the purposes of that, that story. But to David's point, we're talking about a character that is liberating people and has characteristics that one might find in a messianic character but uh, you know, or in a savior character um, in The Reluctant Hero and all that, but it's not the messiah. You know, so I think that's the, to David's point. Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? Go to Facebook.com slash The World According to Gorf. Hakeloya, 
perspective, that individual is going to have in his bloodline represent the entire world. Like, so for instance, um, if you trace the genealogy of the Jewish Messiah, 
it's fascinating because um, it's 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 coming from non-Jews and other nations. Like for instance, um, Lot gives birth to Moab. Moab gives birth to Ruth. Ruth converts to Judaism and gives birth to King David. Right. So and then that's the messianic line in Judaism. So so in the Messiah, they're going to have representatives from all the nations of the entire world. So they'll be able to speak for all of humanity. And also the idea is that um, that when we talk about the Messiah, right, we're talking about someone who's going to basically open their eyes and their, their mind to the oneness of God. And God who created the Messiah and whatever, say, say the Jewish people, for instance, I'm talking as a Jew right now, also, God created the entire world and God created everyone. So we're all God's children. So in other words, one of the realizations that the Messiah will bring is total inclusion and total oneness, right? And just to button it with one last thought, um, uh, we, the, the, we say God is one in, in, in Judaism, and one has the same numerical equivalent in Hebrew, meaning the same spiritual DNA as another word, which is Ava, which is love. So that one love, like Bob Marley might say, right? That one love is what's going to become revealed, and everyone is going to feel their importance and their belonging. Well, I think that what you were talking about, though, is, is the, the fictional portrayals and the, the visual images of Christ as basically like a long-haired blonde dude right. um, who was actually Jewish and right. Middle Eastern and we never see him that way and yeah. I I think that you're right that that does that does affect you know if that is our vision of perfection is a blonde dude then then yeah everybody else who is not a blonde dude is going to be necessarily less than perfect the way that he is portrayed so I, I agree that it does have an impact on yeah. on our general perceptions of, of race and gender yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's interesting because we're, we have this preconceived notion about it's, and it's mostly American Christianity. And, and it, it's strange because you go, you go back and you see the, the, the early church fathers, the, the saints in the church, and they're from Africa. You know, you, you know when, you look at, when you look at somebody uh, like St. Like Augustine, I mean, the Bishop of Hippo, it's Africa. It's weird. The first uh, convert was the Ethiopian. The Apostle Paul, I mean, um, he was, when in Scripture it, it talks about and somebody says, are you the Egyptian that was causing this, uh, I forgot what in reference to, but, but they said, are you the Egyptian, meaning that Paul does not look like, uh, well, actually he's going to look like Hugh Jack in the movie, but, <laughs> but uh, that's coming up, but it's weird because because this, this is clearly he's a person of color. Sorry, they all have to but, interrupt. Sorry, we have to wrap yeah. up. Uh, the door's opening. We always end with rapid-fire questions very quickly. We're going to go down the line. You're starting with Ali. Favorite hero? Uh, Apache Indian. Favorite villain? Lisa. Favorite villain? Yes. Um, Hans Gruber. <laughs> Favorite Messiah? Jeff. E.T. <laughs> Leo, favorite religious entertainment? Rock and roll. David, entertainment you follow religiously? Religion. <laughs> uh, Allie, greatest misunderstanding about the faith of the person sitting to your left? Uh, atheism. Atheism? Yeah. Greatest misunderstanding? That um, they can't go to AA. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Lisa, that is true. <laughs> greatest misunderstanding about the faith of the person sitting to your right is um, that you are uh, Western Christian hating extremists who want nothing more than to blow yourself up for Allah. <laughs> Pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. Uh, secret religious crush. Claire Danes in a burqa, Madonna in Kabbalah strings, or Sally Fields in a nun habit? <laughs> Sally Fields, duh. <laughs> Leo, sexiest man of the cloth. Stephen uh, Collins in Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Paul Bettany in Priest, or Richard Chamberlain in The Thornbirds? Richard Chamberlain in The Thornbirds. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Sexy man. Uh, and Allie, favorite rabbi sidekick. Edward Norton in Keeping the Faith. Harrison Ford in the Frisco Kid or Barbara Streisand in Yentl? Ed Norton. <laughs> okay, and Lisa, favorite rabbi, Ben Stiller as Jacob Schramm in Keeping the Faith, Gene Wilder as Avram in the Frisco Kid or Meryl Streep as Meryl Streep in heavy rabbi makeup in Angels in America? I, I gotta go with Meryl on this one. Excellent, okay. <laughs> Jeff, favorite historical figure deserving of a miniseries? Uh, Einstein. <laughs> worst, so not the right Leo, worst biblical <laughs> epic ever. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of them. Uh, the Einstein. Anything done by the Kinder Brothers? I don't know. Okay, and finally, David Sachs. If your mom were here right now, what would she say about your participation in this panel? Eat something. <laughs> this has been Heroes, Faith, Villains, and Messiah. Thank you very much for God's speech. If this is my last song, if this is my final day, if tomorrow I'll be gone, what do I want to say? This is my last song If it's my time to go When my body's moved on What will I have to show? No, not fortune or fame They scatter to the wind The things that make a name just don't matter in the end But is the world a little more peaceful? Oceans and sky a little more blue Is humankind a little bit wiser About the good that we can do? Does the sun shine a little bit brighter? Where before there was only rain If so, then I'm glad I came If these are my last words For all of the earth to hear If all that I have ever been Is about to disappear If these are my last words There's nothing that I need to say I have only tried to serve It's never been about talking anyway So much hurt there is to heal 
According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Gorf. Thanks to our roundtable of entertainment professionals for participating in what you've just heard, the Stan Lee Kamikaze Expo Los Angeles-based comic book convention panel entitled Heroes, Villains, Faith, and the Messiah. If you're interested in hearing more on the topic, feel free to go into our archives Look up NachumSiegel.com, find the stunt show, and seek out the original panel, Heroes and Faith, and its sequel from last year, Heroes, Villains, and Faith. And feel free to share the link for this year's panel, Heroes, Villains, Faith, and the Messiah, with all of your friends via your favorite social media platform, and of course, good old word of mouth. I realize in retrospect that I neglected to ask one pretty important question, and that was, who is the Messiah according to Islam? Fortunately, these days we can seek out answers from Rabbi Google, or should I say Father Google, or should I say Imam Google? The songs we featured during the panel were about the religions under discussion. Tala al-Badru Alaina by Yusuf Islam, the former Cat Stevens, Mashiach, the Hebrew word for Messiah, by Mordechai ben David, and appropriately, Last Song, by the singer-songwriter David Neymad. I hope they were enlightening. I'm already looking forward to featuring the next episode of The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. But in the meantime, visit jewishcartoon.com, that's jewishcartoon.com, for your weekly dose of Gorf Jewish cartoon humor. Check out my new family-friendly graphic novel, Michael Midas Champion. It's at michaelmidaschampion.com. 
And for the best in a cappella vocal entertainment at your simcha, your barbat mitzvah, your personal occasion, your wedding, your event, go to PellaProductions.com. That's Pella, short for a cappella, PellaProductions.com. This is Gorf wishing you Shalom. Shalom, shalom.